1848, pre-Civil War, North Carolina, where churches were either white or black. And a group of 40 Christians decided to defy the cultural norms, give up their physical safety, and gather as a church made up of black and white people together. And they let the Holy Spirit lead them into a great and dangerous gospel adventure. They gathered to form a multiracial church in divided America. And these 40 Christians boldly, publicly, announced their intention to engage in civil disobedience and disobey the fugitive slave law. They followed in the footsteps of the Apostle Peter, who said to the Sanhedrin, we must obey God rather than man. These Southerners were not pro-slavery. And they heard of the Wesleyan Methodist Church, that's what city life is. We're part of the Wesleyan denomination. It used to be called the Wesleyan Methodist Connection. And they heard about this church and knew that they were anti-slavery and wrote a letter to them saying, can you send us a pastor? We want to start a church. We want a pastor. And I shared with you a few weeks ago that the, the general conference of the Wesleyan Church of our denomination, they met for every four years. They meet together for a business meeting, and it was a big, a big gathering that they just had. And back in the day, they had the same thing. They had it every year back then. And the, this general conference uh, for the denomination met for their meeting in Ohio. This is back in 1848. So they received this request, and they began to pray. Because usually what they did is they would appoint a pastor. Okay, now you, this church needs a pastor. You, you pastor, go there. This church needs somebody. You, you pastor, you go over there. And they'd send people. And pastors just like went where they were sent. But in this situation, they said, you know, Whoever goes to this church is probably going to die. And so we don't want to just appoint somebody. We think that this person really needs to be called by the Lord to go. And they said, we also probably want somebody who is not married because they're probably going to die, and we don't want to leave a, a wife and children behind. So they prayed. They prayed, and they prayed for God to raise somebody up. Because being, being an abolitionist above the Mason-Dixon line was one thing, but to cross that line in these turbulent days before the Civil War was, was another. The risks were great. And a person who was there wrote an eyewitness account of what happened during this annual conference in Ohio. He wrote, after a season of prayer, Brother Adam Crooks arose, his cheeks as pale as marble, he was white, by the way. <laughs> I will go, he said. Sustained by your prayers and in the name of my Savior, I will go to North Carolina. He was 23 years old. Newly ordained. Single. His ministry was just beginning. And he said, I will go. And so he moved to North Carolina. They built a meeting house. October 1847, simple building, 27 feet by 36 feet, hand-hewn pews that were constructed with pe wooden pegs, not nails, no heat source, windows with shutters, no glass. I I've been to this church. I've stood in it. It was named Freedom's Hill 
Freedom's Hill because it stood for the freedom of enslaved people and sinner alike. And once in North Carolina, Cripps was not warmly welcomed. He was labeled, he was called an outside agitator. You're an agitator, you're stirring people up, you're an outsider, you don't belong here in North Carolina. He was called a dangerous radical. He was called a traitor to the white race. He was tarred and feathered in effigy. He was banned from speaking on the courthouse grounds despite first, the First Amendment right of free speech. And North Carolina judges ruled that the constitutional right to free speech did not apply to those true Wesleyans because the Wesleyans were known for abolitionist work. Adam Crooks was dragged from the pulpit, literally dragged from the front of the church outside and beaten multiple times. Twice he was poisoned. He also survived an assassination attempt. One of the poisonings happened when someone who was posing as a friend said, hey, pastor, your, your life is in danger. Come and I'll, I'll take care of you. And then it was that friend who poisoned his drink. He survived. And through all of this, the question that Adam Crooks wrote in his memoirs, the question that he wrote to himself was he kept sensing the Lord asking, can you give your life for the cause? What does the Holy Spirit require of you? Today is the last week in our Pentecost series. Today's also Father's Day. Today is also uh, today is also um, Juneteenth, which is the 19th of June. And I mentioned this to say this. The Emancipation Proclamation in America would come in 1862. 1862. But today, Juneteenth is a new federal holiday. Uh, it was just signed into law recently, and so you, have, you won't be getting mail on Monday, just so you know, it's a new federal holiday. But it is this new federal holiday that commemorates enslaved people in Texas who were not told about emancipation. So the Emancipation Proclamation happens, enslaved people are told that they are going to be, let, uh, be, be freed, but nobody tells those who are out in Texas. And so those people remain enslaved three more years. Texas was more isolated in geography from other states, and law enforcement was slow. And so we have here on Juneteenth, America's second Independence Day, a day when the news finally reached them that it was time. You see, we can't separate Pentecost from the multi-ethnic church. And we talk about this today because we cannot talk about Pentecost without also talking about the multi-ethnic church. I just gave you some examples of the multi-ethnic church in America. There are examples of multi-ethnic church around the world. But we can talk about Pentecost without talking about the multi-ethnic church. If we look at the book of Acts, what happens is the Holy Spirit comes on people and enables them so that the message of Jesus, of the good news of Jesus, can be spread to multiple languages, to multiple people's groups. So when we talk about the multi-ethnic church, often we do overlap a little bit with politics 
because that's how the language of our society goes. But as Christians, our first and foremost call is to the gospel, and the gospel gives us a picture and a calling to the multi-ethnic church. So what does Pentecost have to say to a multi-ethnic church? Let's look at that. In Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. If this passage is sounding familiar to you by now, good. Verse 2, suddenly, a sound like the blowing of what? A violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? We hear them, verse 11, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? The multi-ethnic church has always been part of God's plan. It's Pentecost that enables it to fully break open. The Holy Spirit draws us into multi-ethnic church. And there are two ways that we see this happening. The first is this. We see God calling us to unity in diversity. God calls us to unity. Amen? Amen. He calls us to unity even in the midst of our diversity. This was God's plan all along. When Jesus was praying for the disciples before he went to the cross, in John 17, he's praying for all of the future disciples that were to come, which is those of us who are following Jesus today, and he prays, Father, let them be one as you and I are one. He prayed that we would have unity that mirrors the unity of the Father and the Son. You don't get much more unified than that, and that is the kind and the quality of unity that Jesus prayed for us. He prayed that we would have unity in our diversity. But we're also called to diversity in our unity. We're also called to diversity in our unity. When God first came to Abraham, way back at the beginning of the Old Testament, and he said, Abraham, I am selecting you out of all the people on the earth. You are my chosen messenger. Abraham, I am going to bless you, and all nations of the earth will be blessed through you. You will become a mighty family. You will become a mighty nation, and all nations on the earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. And from the very beginning of the mission of God, he had in mind the whole world. Abraham is selected, and we have this story all through the scripture of how how God built up the Jewish people, and there was a minority report all along of of God having the Jews, but then every so often you'd see a little story of of a Gentile or a Samaritan or somebody else coming into the people of God or outsiders coming into the Jewish people. And we have these little glimmers of awareness that some that along the way, God has a heart for the nations. And then we get into the New Testament, and we have this situation of Pentecost in which the Holy Spirit comes in, breaks open the Jewish people. 
the message of the gospel was that it, it was given first for the Jews and then for the Gentiles. And at Pentecost, it breaks open from Jew to Gentile, and we have here this opening up of the good news of all uh, the good news of Jesus for all nations. Then we end in the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation gives us this picture, this prophetic picture of every nation, tribe, and tongue gathering around the throne room of God. And so we see from the beginning of Scripture to the end of Scripture this movement of God for all people in the whole world. Revelation 7, verse 9, gives us this picture of what is to come. This is this prophetic picture of what is to come. The Apostle John writes, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God's plan has always been to use the united family of Abraham to bring peace and justice to the world. And Pentecost shows how this marginal, small, messianic Jewish group became an international, multi-ethnic movement that became the most ethnically diverse religious movement in human history. That's amazing. And so why is Pentecost so important? Why is Pentecost so important when it comes to the multi-ethnic church? What makes Pentecost so special? What difference does the Holy Spirit make when it comes to diversity? How is spirit-led diversity different from what we hear about the world's focus on diversity? How does being a Christian make a difference in how we do diversity? I hope that if you are a believer in Jesus and if you are a Christian, you ask these kinds of questions. How is what I do different because I follow Jesus? How is the Christian practice of this, how is the gospel practice of this different than how the world does it? And I would suggest to you, church, that it is possible to have diversity and be completely out of step with God's purposes. Diversity in and of itself is not the goal. I was talking, with this about, uh, talking about this with my husband, Adam, and in Revelation 13, he pointed me to Revelation 13, and I'm going to read this to you. It's, it's a prophetic picture of what is to come, and I believe there will be a section of this that will sound familiar to you, so be listening for that. Revelation chapter 13, verse 1. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshipped the dragon because he had been given... He, because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast and said, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? The beast was given a month to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them, and it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation." Sound familiar? All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. 
It was given authority. The beast was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All those whose names have not been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. All of those who do not have saving faith in Jesus. It is possible to have diversity and be completely out of step with God. It is possible to have unity with others and be completely out of step with God. Just because a few of you agree doesn't mean you're in step with God. It's possible to have unity and diversity and still worship the beast. And so diversity does not necessarily equal godliness. Diversity does not equal City Life's mission statement. Our mission statement is we manifest God's kingdom now as we call out disciples and renew our neighborhoods. Our mission is to manifest God's kingdom. And we do that, we call out disciples, we renew neighborhoods. Does, does multi-ethnic church matter to us? Does diversity matter to us? Absolutely it does. It is a core practice. It is a core value of who we are and it affects pretty much everything we do. But it's not our mission because diversity isn't in and of itself our goal. We are called to make disciples. So how is spirit-led diversity different? What does this mean for us as a church, as a church that has some diversity in it, as a church that is multi-ethnic? Is, how is spirit-led diversity different for us? Let's look in the book of Acts. We have to look in Acts because it is here in the book of Acts when everything changes and the Holy Spirit for the multi-ethnic church is given. Everything comes to this passage, and this is where we need to get grounded and where we need to root ourselves if we're going to understand how spirit-led diversity is different. So Acts chapter 2 says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were where? Where were they? All together. All together. Just like we're here all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of what kind of wind? A, a violent wind. A viol that's not a nice, peaceful wind. That's a violent, unsettling wind. Came from heaven and filled the whole house. Also, there's wind in the house. The Holy Spirit's work is often characterized by surprise, is it not? I mean, imagine a wind that's not just like a gentle breeze blowing through your curtains, but a wind that is in your house that does not belong in your house that is also a violent wind. In my life, when I've had moments of a sense of deep connection with the Holy Spirit, I think it has always surprised me. I've never seen it coming. Think, think back in your lives. If you've had a time that you can remember of a time when you really sensed the presence of the Holy Spirit, were you, were you maybe a little surprised? So often, that is how the Holy Spirit works. In surprising, fresh ways. The Holy Spirit, church, is a person. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not an energy to be channeled. The Holy Spirit is not a, a metaphysical force that we can manipulate or that we can call down and, and manage. The Holy Spirit is a person who works how he wants to work, when he wants to work, on his own time frame and in his own way. So point number one, is spirit-led diversity is led by the Spirit. 
This is not a super deep point here. But we need to understand that spirit-led diversity is not led or managed or calculated by us. Spirit-led diversity must be led by the Spirit, and the wise followers of God will stand back and let the Spirit lead and then do what the Spirit says. The disciples, they were, they were gathered together. They were praying. They were, Jesus told them to go and wait for the Holy Spirit. So they were there. They were, they were sitting together. They were, waiting for the, they were waiting for the Holy Spirit. They were praying for the Holy Spirit. And how long were they waiting? Do you remember this from a couple weeks ago? 50 days which is why we call it Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. They had been waiting 50 days, which doesn't sound like a long time, but if you are waiting 50 days for something, it feels like a long time. So I have a little bit of empathy here. It feels like a long time. They're gathering, they're praying, they're asking for the Holy Spirit. They gathered together, they prayed together, they asked for the Holy Spirit to come, and they waited. They waited. Now, if you had been praying 50 days for something, would you be getting a little impatient? Some of you pray for something for three days, and you're like, God never answers my prayers, right? 50 days, they waited. They didn't know when it was going to end. They waited. They waited for the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit came, it was God's doing, not theirs. Not theirs. The Holy Spirit comes on his own time. Now, when it comes to multi-ethnic church, I think there are a couple dangers. The first danger is sometimes a, a Christian will show up at a multi-ethnic church and they'll just be like, I'm just gonna, just gonna enjoy what's here. I'm just going to consume the multi-ethnic dynamics of a church. Like, I like things about it and I'm just going to enjoy it. It's just, it's, I don't know how it happens, it just happens. You know, like everybody just kind of comes together and it just happens. Another danger would be to realize that it, a multi-ethnic church can't be forced. You can't manipulate it. You can't do the quotas and, you know, like just make sure that things happen. I, I think there are two dangers. N not, not doing anything to engage and trying to manage it all. The thing is, is that spirit-led diversity is led by the spirit. The, for the Christian, the multi-ethnic church is built by the spirit. So what we do is we pray for the spirit, we pray to be filled with the Spirit, and then we obey the Spirit. That is how the Holy Spirit gets to lead in the church. Spirit-led diversity is led by the Spirit. Point number two, Spirit-led diversity involves a purifying process. It is nice and comfortable to go to a church and to say, I'm just going to be, here I am with all my, with all my baggage, here I am with who I am, and I'm, I'm going to bring all of me here. But a good community, a good multi-ethnic community, but I would say even just a good church community in general, is always going to ask you to be purified, to follow in the way of holiness, to become more like Jesus. Because coming together in diversity doesn't just mean we bring all, all of ourselves and all of our cultures and all of us. It, it does mean that, but it, then it means that we let this Holy Spirit purify us and cut off whatever is ungodly that doesn't belong. There's a, there's a giving up that needs to be part of every kind of engagement with a church community. And we see in Scripture 
this, this symbol of fire. We see fire used in lots of different ways in Scripture. We see fire burning. We see fire cleansing and purifying. There were sacrifices that were made in the Old Testament sacrificial system. It was the burning up and the, the wafting of the smoke to God that was beautiful. There is a purifying and a cleansing. There's a cleansing by fire. It, we, when we have Moses, we have Moses who encounters the presence of God, and there is a burning what? A burning bush. That bush is full of fire, and yet that bush is not consumed by fire. It does not burn up because the presence of God is in the fire. We see then at Mount Sinai in the giving of the Ten Commandments, there is fire that comes upon this mountain that is the presence of God descending on the people as this covenant is made. As the Israelites are wandering through the wilderness, God leads them in a form, and one of the forms that he leads them in is a pillar of fire. And this fire stick, this fire pillar that leads the way, that's where they're following, that's their compass, that's how they know where to go. God's presence is in this pillar of fire. Multiple times we see fire representing the presence of God. Then we get to Pentecost, and instead of one bush instead of one pillar, instead of one direction of fire coming from heaven. Look what the fire does. It separates out into little bits of fire, and everybody gets some. The presence of God is now accessible to us. The presence of God now dwells in us, and we are given the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. This is the amazing thing that happens at Pentecost, is the person, the, the Holy Spirit is given to us, and we are filled. We, are, we, we become little mobile temples, little mobile tab tabernacles of God's presence, the presence of God in this world. See, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes to purify us, to inhabit us, the Holy Spirit is not interested in just giving you a little extra boost to empower you to go live your life how you want to. The Holy Spirit is interested in inhabiting you and purifying you and taking over and then inviting you into his work. The Holy Spirit involves a purifying process. If you are going to get involved in God's work, you've got to get purified and he's going to change some things in your life. Spirit-led diversity involves a purifying process. In Acts chapter 2, verse 3, you know this passage, we've been reading it for the last few weeks, but it says the disciples saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Let's remember what they were doing. What were the believers doing? They were waiting for the Holy Spirit. And what, what did Jesus tell them to wait for? They were, waiting for the, they were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, waiting for power to come from on high. And look what happens. What comes from heaven? Tongues of fire. Did they pray for tongues of fire? No, they didn't see that one coming. <laughs> and then the tongues of fire come on, top, on them, and then they are filled with the Spirit, and then, what do they do? They start speaking in other languages. They didn't see that coming either. They did not ask for this. Point number three, the Holy Spirit decides what gifts you need for the multi-ethnic church. They didn't ask for tongues of fire. They did not ask to speak in other languages. 
If they had gone, if the Holy Spirit had gone out recruiting in advance, hey, who of you wants to be filled with the Holy Spirit and then given a language that you can go and talk to other people in other languages about the wonders of God? Any, any takers? They would be few. But instead what they were doing is they were seeking the Holy Spirit, they were seeking God, and God in his perfect wisdom says, this is the gift I am giving. And they received the gift that he gave. Willie Jennings writes in his commentary on Acts, those gathered in prayer asked for power. They may have asked for the Holy Spirit to come, but they did not ask for this. This is real grace, untamed grace. It is the grace that replaces our fantasies of power over people with God's fantasy for desire for people. Aren't you glad that God gets to decide what gifts you receive? The Holy Spirit decides what gifts you receive, and the wise follower of God will say, thank you, and I will go. The Holy Spirit equips, and sometimes God equips you with something you don't ask for. And church, don't despise the gift. Don't quench the Spirit. Receive the gifts he has for you. And then what happens in Acts chapter 2, verse 5, there are people that are staying in Jerusalem. These are the God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard the sound of all the languages, when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Verse 7, utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Skipping down to verse 11, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Okay, so what are the disciples declaring? It says, we hear them declaring what? The wonders of God in our own language. They are declaring the wonders of God. Here's the fourth point. The ultimate goal of spirit-led diversity is not diversity. It is God. What they, what they, they, they would celebrate that the message of Jesus was going to other countries and other nations and all people. They would celebrate that. But the primary thing that is happening here, the ultimate goal of spirit-led diversity is not diversity. It is lifting up God. It is the elevation of God. It is the, us declaring the wonders of God. Church, what if, what if city life gets diversity, but we don't get the Holy Spirit? In, in our desire for the multi-ethnic church and our pursuit and work toward that and and our successes and failures along the way, what if, what if we get some diversity, but we don't get the Holy Spirit? And I think that what the Holy Spirit is inviting us into today 
is this. I, I, think, you've, I think you're being invited to be filled with the Spirit. I, I thought of lots of different things that we could do to seek to be more Spirit-directed and, and, and seek to pray for God to build a multi-ethnic community at City Life as he wants to in his way and his time. I had lots of thoughts about that, but I think the ultimate question is this. Will you be filled with the Holy Spirit? Where is the Holy Spirit taking us? We don't know, which is why we need to be filled and why we then need to be purified and why we need to obey. Adam Crooks, this young man in North Carolina, he was, as I said, poisoned several times. He, he, didn't, he, lived for, he lived for a while. He didn't live to be an elderly man. But the, the toll that poisoning took on his life did end his life prematurely. And he eventually died of complications from that. And I stood in that church where there were bullet holes in that thick wooden door bullet holes on the wall behind the front of the church where shots had been fired in the middle of worship services. What will following the Holy Spirit require of you? Being, being filled with the Holy Spirit is the most important thing for the multi-ethnic church. And if we pursue it by other means, by our, by our wisdom, by our education, by our engagement in politics, if, if, we, if we pursue it in means in our own power, not living out Acts 2, then it's just an ideology. It is not something that is directed by the Holy Spirit. And we don't want a diverse church because it's neat and it's cool and it's beautiful, but I believe it is neat and cool and beautiful, but that's not why we want it. We want it because we are in this place. God has put us in a city. God has put us in this location that that is multi-ethnic. I was talking with a pastor friend of mine who lives in northern Michigan. He's like, yeah, yeah, my church isn't diverse. And I'm like, well, it shouldn't be because it's like 99% white up there, so it makes sense. But you build a multi-ethnic church in different ways. God's calling you to do that, to engage in different ways in your context. Here, this is, this is what we have and where God has placed us strategically for such a time as this. But we don't want it just because it's politically correct or it's cool. We want it because we're Christians. We want it because we're Christians who believe the Bible. And because we are Christians who believe the Bible, who read a Bible that gives us this picture of God loving the world. The whole world. So much so that he gave his only begotten son. And he wants us to have unity so that we may be one as he is one. And he wants us to have diversity so that all nations may be blessed through the promise of Abraham. This is God's work in the world. And God has a way of taking our mess-ups and our takeovers along the way and correcting us and getting us back on track. I hope he'll keep doing that. But my question for us is, what will following the Holy Spirit require of you? And you're not going to know the answer to that until you're filled, because he's going to surprise you. What will following the Holy Spirit require? I invite you to close your eyes, and if, if you would say, my prayer 
is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be freshly filled, to be realigned. If that's your prayer, would you just stand where you are? God, purify me. God, cut off anything that is ungodly. God, call me out of my discomfort into a holy discomfort because that is where you are. God, fill me with your Holy Spirit in your time and in your way. And God, fill me with an obedience so that I can obey you. God, help me to leave behind whatever needs to be left behind. Help me to set aside whatever needs to be set aside. Help me, God, to take in whatever needs to be taken in and to put off whatever needs to be taken off. But Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I wait for you. I wait for you. However long it takes, 50 days or more or less, I wait for you. Fill me, Holy Spirit. Lead me in your way. And Lord God, build your church through spirit-surrendered people. Build your church, God, through spirit-surrendered people. This is your church. The church across the globe is your church. We do not control it. We do not own it. We cannot manage it or manipulate it. We simply offer ourselves to you and say, we are your church as imperfect as we are. Here we are. Holy Spirit, find us usable. Holy Spirit, have your way. Fill us. Refresh us. And build your church. In your name we pray, amen.